morning church happy Easter yeah that's how we say it happy Easter where I'm from uh, it's good to be with you and uh, we get to open the word together and uh, we've been in this series uh, looking at a portion of scripture really is the first of the good news to be uh, presented before it even happened in Isaiah 53 and 52 we read really the first gospel and today, uh, as, as the rest of the series, as we look at this, I hope that it informs us and instructs us and gives us, I think, a deeper understanding uh, of just what Jesus has done and accomplished at the cross and in coming out of the grave. So uh, if you would, open your Bibles with me. We're in Isaiah 53. He is risen. Well, guys... <laughs> First service, set the bar, all right? Pretty high. So here we go. Ready? Christ is risen. Come on, man. That's awesome. Here we go. Isaiah 53, we're in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, but the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He was counted with wrongdoers, yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the wrongdoers. Amen? So what we've done over the last few weeks is we've gone through Isaiah and uh, we've looked at different scriptures from Old Testament and New Testament. And really in doing that, we've shown that, that this word that we're reading really has to be God's word. It really has to be inspired by the living God. There's no other way that what we're reading here it is not God's word because what we're reading shows an impossible thing. <clears> that hundreds of years before, this is spoken of, and then Jesus shows up on the scene and does exactly as the scripture reads. Christ would be born of a virgin, that he would live a perfect life, he would be betrayed and mocked that he'd be beaten and die the way that scripture reads there. That he'd offer himself. Right? Not taken, but offer himself. That's powerful. As the perfect Passover lamb. It's spoken of not just in Isaiah, but then also in Proverbs and Psalms and other places all through the Old Testament. This has been told us and then we read it that it actually happened in this one who is Jesus. All of these things. And it's an impossibility, therefore, for what we're reading today, the words that we have, the, the word of God, and you guys have heard me say this many times, but, but don't take lightly. You have the word of God in your home available to you. Don't pass by it, but go to it daily. Meditate on it. It has life for you. This is life, his word. And so we're looking at this passage specifically in Easter of Isaiah that he's read, we're reading here in, in verse 10 through 12. 
And I hope that today it gives us an even deeper understanding of what was needed to be accomplished on our behalf, that only Jesus, only the Messiah could do this. That what he was about to do fulfilled everything that God required and mapped out from way before it actually happening. And the biggest, most important of all those things would be this, what we celebrate today, and that is that the Messiah would not stay dead. Amen? The cross would not be the final word. It was never gonna end this way. God had something else in mind. Isaiah 53, 10 says, he will see his offspring. His offspring, right? We sit here today and Jesus, because he's alive, looks on, is able to see his offspring all around the world. Millions of people worshiping, remembering, giving honor to God today for what Jesus accomplished. He is seeing his offspring. We are that. He didn't get married. He didn't have children. Like we understand offspring, right? But he gave, he gave birth to the movement of the church. He is the head of the church and we are his offspring. He will prolong his days, Isaiah 53 says. How do you prolong your days? You know that God has numbered your days. We know that we have no control necessarily over that, that God ordains, he moves as he is. He is sovereign. So how does someone prolong their days? Only way that is possible is if he is fully man and fully God, is he able to do something that is to prolong his days? That's spoken of in Isaiah 53 is that which we can now look back on, but they didn't know at the time that coming off the cross, he was dead, but then able on the third day to rise again out of that death. He prolonged his own days. Death could not hold back the power of God, amen? And so the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in whose hand? His hand, Isaiah 53, verse 10 tells us that the pleasure, the goodwill, the pleasure of God is placed in his hand. It will prosper in his hand. How is that possible only if he is the Messiah and continues to live even today? That is how it happens. And so as a reader of this before seeing and knowing about the resurrection, this had to just be completely off the wall writing like how in the world, this must be some metaphor, this must be speaking of not surely not the Messiah. And that is why many miss it. That they place these words not on the Messiah but on something or someone else that it can't be. 40 days of ministry happened in Jesus' miraculous form in between him coming out of the grave and then ascending to the Father. And many who saw him in that form wondered and were astonished, some full of fear, some in awe of who he, who he was standing before them. Wasn't he dead? How could this be? Proverbs 30 verse four describes this one for us in all his splendor and says this, who has ascended to heaven and come down? The scriptures were getting them ready, but they still missed it. The scriptures have, have the ability to get us ready and prepare us 
for who Jesus was and is. And here it says in Proverbs 34, way before it happened, who has ascended to the heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Didn't we read how Jesus did that? With his disciples, didn't he calm the storm? How could scripture know this other than being God's perfect word? Proverbs 30 verse four describes Jesus with the wind in his fists who was wrapped up the waters in his garment. Didn't he walk on the water, church? This is Jesus who has established all the ends of the earth. This is Jesus. John describes this as the one, this is the word who came forth. And in his word, creation happened. He spoke life and light into being. This is Jesus. What is his name? And what is his son's name? Of course, we know it is Jesus. It says here in Proverbs 30, verse four, surely you know, not in a question, but in a statement, surely you know. Verse five, every word of God proves true. Are you seeing that? This is why Isaiah 52 and 53 was so important for me to prepare our hearts before Easter because we needed this to, to get our heads around it. People will ask you, how do you know? Do you know what Easter is about? Do you know what you believe? And you here today, if you've been with us and you've looked at these scriptures, you know, not in question, surely you know now. You know that every word of God proves true. You know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And that's why first service and this service here, we're full here because many people have understood this and see him for what he is. And now you're here testifying that you take refuge under him because why? He is worth it. He is able. He is strong. He is Jesus. Matthew 21, 28, 1 describes this moment where undoubtedly we, we just know now the, and the ones that were with him get this full understanding maybe a wave hitting them of, of, of grief and understanding the weight of, of his resurrection hits them 28 verse 1 says now after the Sabbath near dawn of the first day of the week Mary Magdala and the other Mary went to uh, take a look at the tomb as you do and behold there was a great earthquake for an angel Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the boulder back and sat Upon it. His appearance was like lightning, his garments as white as snow, and those keeping God were so frightened at the sight of him that they were agitated and they trembled and became like dead men. Jesus isn't even on the scene yet, and everybody's afraid. Because the holy is just that holy, right? Those keeping God were so frightened. Verse 5 says, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be alarmed and frightened. Why? For I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen. He, as, as he said, he would do. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they left the tomb hastily with what? Fear. What did they leave with? Fear and great joy. 
and ran to tell the disciples, opening up this dichotomy that we can live in. If you know God, if you come face to face with Jesus or the reality that Jesus is who he says he is, there is this that exists in your persons, this great fear of, wow, he's awesome. And at the same time, great joy because there is what? There's hope. That is a true response when you know who Jesus is, that you are filled with, filled with fear and, and really awe and wonder and splendor and hope and joy. It's an incredible thing. And if you haven't experienced it, I pray that today this is your day to experience this. This. What we're celebrating today. What we're celebrating is that the raw and awesome power of God was on display in the person of Jesus in that grave in that tomb and the raw power of God that you all today stand in awe and celebrate because it couldn't hold him in death made that raw power rose him from the dead and that same raw power is now in you the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is now available and alive in his followers. Here is the Jesus that walked out of that tomb. Later on, as he ascended and is now with the Father, this is John giving this revelation that he sees Jesus in his awesome and raw power. This is what he sees. Then he turned to see the voice, Revelations 1.12, the voice that was speaking with him. And after turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one, like a son of man clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and wrapped around the chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were like uh, white, white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been heated to a glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his, in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which I have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. And thus we have revelation. Because John encountered Jesus our risen Savior. This is the raw and awesome power of God. And this is why some people look at you like you're crazy because you believe in the supernatural power, raw power of God, raising a dead man out of the grave. That's it. You wonder why people look at you sideways as a Christian, right? It's because you believe that. That thing. That he is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and Omega. That he is the rock that is higher than high. This Easter, I think John's response is key for us all. John is awestruck. And he writes how he fell to his feet like a dead man. He literally fainted, or you could say became dead at the sight of Jesus in his risen state. I'm convinced that there are but two responses to Jesus today that exist in this room. 
Some of you have, like John, you died to self. In that moment when you see and recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and he did what he said, you had a moment of realizing your nothingness and his awesomeness and you died to yourself. The other response in this room is that instead of dying to self, you hid yourself. Like Adam and Eve, you saw yourself and your sin and you turned to find somewhere to hide because you thought yourself better. You thought you could do something to help yourself. You thought you could cover your sin enough. And so instead of being and seeing God in his awesomeness, you saw him as awful. This is awful news because my sin is so bad. You didn't just sit in the awesomeness and faint and say, woe is me. No, you said, this is awful. I could never be in his presence. And so you separated yourself. Thus today I say to you, there are two responses in this room. Either you see God as awesome or you see him as awful. Awesome because he's incredible and awe-inspiring or awful because therefore there is only one way of salvation and you don't see it. John 14, 6 tells us there is one way. He is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except, by, except through him and that scares you. But Jesus said this to John in his fear. He said, do not be afraid. His awesome power can and should offer us all kinds of a security and assurance so my question to, to you today is just that. Does it? Does it offer you that? Does it fill you with that? Death has been overcome. Jesus has overcome the grave so you don't have to be afraid. But there are two responses. I get it. There are two types of people in this room right now. I'm convinced that there are Therefore, two things that we need to be aware of. One is you're there, you've made that decision, you've come before him, he is awesome. And so we need to check ourselves and be sure that we align with this awesome God. And if he is awful to you, then today you wanna check yourself and be sure that your position is where you ought to be. And so I wanna, I wanna show you today three things that shift in our lives after we respond like John to Jesus in his resurrected state where he is right now. Life after death, as us believers, and when I say death, I mean death to self, looks like this. Firstly, it means fear no longer leads me. Fear no longer has control. Verse 17, we read in Revelation there, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. That is our Jesus. Our Jesus holds the keys to life itself. He has overcome death and Hades cannot keep him in or out. Jesus declares to John, therefore, and instructs him, do not be afraid. 
And for all of us living life after death in Christ, meaning if we've died to ourselves, we have this now that leads our life. The authority given to Jesus, who he is, now instructs us for life. It takes away the power of fear in our life and gives us this new power and authority over death itself. It gives us a position in life. It leads our emotional response to the things that happen around us. When things look like and feel like they're overwhelming, like I'm not in control and maybe neither God is as well, I will inform my mind, my will, and emotions of this. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Usually, I'll do it through his word and quote his scripture informed by the Holy Spirit or reminded by the Holy Spirit in the authority that Jesus now stands in, I will inform my emotions to get in line with the fact that I am no longer led by fear. I am led by the authority in Christ that I have. It is now the boss. There is a transfer of ownership that needs to happen and take place in my life. That's how it should look. Church, it matters what we believe, but it matters even more today that our lives changed ownership after his death and resurrection. That I'm no longer being controlled by fear, but I am being controlled by this awesome, raw power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So I ask you, who is he to you today? Who do you say that he is? How do you inform your mind, will, and emotions when things are overwhelming? Does he truly have control? Is he known by you? Do you know him in your head but reject him with your lifestyle and the way that you treat others? If someone was to look at your life, would they say, surely fear does not inform them on how to live? Would they say, surely something very powerful is informing them on how to live their life? This is why I say today, he is both awesome for some and that is awful for some others. Because some people and this might be you or it might be somebody you know, you don't want to change your life. You don't want to make that transfer of ownership because you like your life. You're comfortable where you are. People who cannot embrace Jesus as the risen Savior are somewhat stuck. And they do not want to hear that Jesus is so awesome and so powerful because none of us really know what to do with that awesome, raw power of God. It's scary. It's scary because it means we might not be in control. What do you do with that? If God is so powerful, and that means you're not in control, how does that make you feel right now? Does it give you great assurance and great peace? 
Why does that grip you with fear? Speaking of power and strength, kind of interesting thought to think of and consider. If Jesus in his risen form could walk through walls, why then did the stone need to be rolled away for him to be risen from the dead? Right? Why did the stone have to be rolled back so that Jesus could rise? If he could walk through walls later that we read, why is that stone rolled away? If he's so awesome and powerful, why didn't he just like slip through the stone? Well, the answer is this. It's for us. The only reason the stone, stone is rolled away is for our benefit, right? Like Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away. Jesus don't care about no stone. No wall, nothing can hold him back. If death can't hold him down, right? Then the stone surely can't. But here's how Jesus displaying again his thought towards us, his love towards us is so great that he's like, you know what? Let me roll back the stone so they can see it, so they get it in their thick heads. I am risen from the dead. I'm not here. He's not home. He's gone. You get it? We needed to see it. God wants to remove every obstacle in our lives, every excuse that we might have that he might not be that awesome and powerful, that we might, he might remove every obstacle that we have to enter into his true presence and live inside of that kind of power in our own lives. And so it brings me to point number two, I become a work in progress with a lot of help. And I emphasize a lot of help. We all know we're in a work in progress, right? But here's the reality, life after death, that Jesus is risen from the dead. Not only are we a work in progress, people, but we are a work in progress with a lot of help. When he rose from the dead, he came back and the Holy Spirit filled all believers. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, your life is now full of that which raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a lot of help. Me too. We all need it. This is the reality of life after death. When I die to self and I say, God, you're awesome. Man, I'm filled with a lot of help. Listen to this. He said, because he poured out his life unto death, this is Isaiah 53, and was counted with wrongdoers, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. This is what he did by going to the cross. He stood in the gap. Intercession means doing that which other people cannot do for themselves. You couldn't do it, so Jesus did it. And he didn't just do it one time. This is where Jesus stands and sits right now as he intercedes for you. He stands in the gap for you. He's going forward for you. He's doing what you cannot do for yourself. Even right now, as you say, man, this is too hard. Jesus says, I know. And he intercedes before the Father on your behalf. Jesus did this amazing thing. Amazing. So we have this incredible help I'm a work in progress and I got help. Come on, somebody say amen. And then I, I, I realized this thing this week or this past month. I was made aware that as I was gathering my boy's socks that had many holes in them, that I need to buy some more socks. We're running low because the boys run around in the yard. I don't know if your kids do that, anybody else in this room, or you might be one of those people. You're just walking out of the house with your socks and not putting your shoes on. 
It's this thing called planned obsolescence. When you buy something, it's going to break down. Somebody somewhere along the line figured this out. Why are we making things so great that they don't break down? I bought a Ford recently, and on it are some plastic products, right? It's okay. Don't judge me. It's all right. But this Ford has plastic products that will break down one day, and I paid for it. I think it's awesome, but the stuff that I'm looking at looks great is going to break down. All products from most places are designed to break down. It's planned. Just like Jesus coming to this earth and doing what he did puts an end to what the law could not do because the law was broken, couldn't do what was necessary in our lives. Actually, it just pointed out that we were incapable of doing what was necessary to be in God's presence. The law was annoying and stupid. It just kept breaking. So every time we broke the law, we had to come back with another sacrifice and a blood, a blood sacrifice and offering. How'd you like to do that every Sunday? And so Jesus, or the Father, did this thing backwards. See, we figured that out along the way. You might have had nylon stockings, right, one day, and you had them where they didn't get holes in them. And guess what? The company figured it out that you weren't coming back and buying more stockings. And so guess what? Now they make them so that they rip the first time you put them on, right? Come on. I don't know that personal like, experience, but I've heard. Here's what Roman 8, 3 says. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus did what the law could not do. When Jesus came, he came as the perfect one and God really did it backwards from how we would do it. He intentionally gave us something that would not work, the law, but then simply pointed out how much we needed a perfect plan because we as humans are failing miserably, right? And keeping the covenant was not something we could do. So what did Jesus do? He came as the perfect one, did everything that was required for the law one time and for all. And so, point number three, life after death, after I die to self, recognizing his awesomeness coming out of the grave is this, my work is over. My striving ends. Jesus paid it all. My work is over. His victory over death puts an end to the constant work to be perfect. There is nothing I can do today to make him love me anymore. Nothing I can do to make him love me any less. There is no need for me to find a mechanism or process to earn my own salvation that will only wear out and fail. Jesus' death and resurrection gives us all believers an invitation to live in a never-ending constant supply of assurance of our salvation. Void of fear. And today I want to point you to these small rocks that you got when you walked in today. They've already been used. Some of you brought the ones back that you got as we were walking through this series. Some of you grabbed one on the way in. And this is a reminder that it's easy to pass Jesus, to miss the things that he wants us to do and just downright easy to forget him, period, Right? And just like these rocks, which are usually walked on and not thought of, they're, they're literally for walking on for footpaths and all kinds of other things. And like that, 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. When Jesus was here, they missed him and now he is here. His presence is here. And I wanna ask you to do this, this Easter. I want us to remember that, that this insignificant small rock, like the things of Christ, so easily could be missed and forgotten. But they are so significant and so powerful that it really changed everything for all time. Our lives never are meant to be the same. After his resurrection, everything shifted. And today, there are some of you who felt like this news of Jesus being the Messiah and and this proof that God has sent his son Jesus is really awful to you. It feels like you might be losing control and I would say, embrace that. Embrace the shift of giving up your life and laying it in his hands because in his hands, fear will no longer lead you. Your life, take that rock one, one time with me. And I want you to think of that rock today is also significant and symbolic of your life in his hands. That you're in his hands and therefore, right, you have a lot of help. Your life might be a mess, but in his hands, you got a lot of help. And that rock built on a foundation of Christ, that rock, your life in his hands, means your work, your striving is over. Today, you can shift. You can make that shift today. The Bible tells us that if you believe and confess through the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you will be saved. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to live in fear. So I want us to stand. This is the position. As I, as I call you to stand, I want you to say something with me. As you stand, I want you to say the word stand out. Would you just hold up your rock and say, I want to stand out. I want to stand out. This is the position, and this is described in 1 Peter 2, 2. It goes like this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up. I got my rock. Hang on. Grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus for it stands in scripture behold I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame my question for you today is do you trust him do you believe in him have you transferred ownership to him if you have this is your position now in Christ that you're being built up as a spiritual house. Your lives are in Him. You're building your lives on that cornerstone that is Christ Jesus. You're set apart. You're supposed to be a city on a hill, shining your light, standing out for the world to see what it means to live in Christ. In church, that doesn't mean you're perfect. It means in your weakness that He is strong. It means in your imperfection that light can shine through you. In your weakness, God can be shown merciful and He can show the world His power because we stand out 
and say, we need you, God. We need your help. And we're thankful for that risen, awesome, raw power that now exists in our lives. And I want it. I don't want to go another day missing it or ignoring it. Amen, church? Let's worship.